Section 19 of Good Cheer Stories Every Child Should Know. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Good Cheer Stories Every Child Should Know by Asa Don Dickinson. An English Dinner of Thanksgiving by George Eliot. Americans are not the only people who hold a feast each year after the crops are gathered into the barns. In older boys and girls who wish to know more of the jolly English farmer, Martin Poyser and his household, will enjoy reading about them in George Eliot's great novel, Adam Bede. It was a goodly sight, that table, with Martin Poyser's round good-humoured face and large person at the head of it, helping his servants to the fragrant roast beef, and pleased when the empty plates came again. Martin, though usually blessed with a good appetite, really forgot to finish his own beef to-night. It was so pleasant to him to look on in the intervals of carving, and see how the others enjoyed their supper. For were they not men who, on all the days of the year except Christmas Day and Sundays, ate their cold dinner in a makeshift manner under the hedgerows, and drank their beer out of wooden bottles, with relish certainly, but with their mouths towards the zenith, after a fashion more endurable to ducks than to human bipeds. Martin Poyser had some faint conception of the flavour such men must find in hot roast beef and fresh-drawn ale. He held his head on one side, and screwed up his mouth, as he nudged Bartle Massey, and watched half-witted Tom Tholer, known as Tom Saft, receiving his second plateful of beef. A grin of delight broke over Tom's face as the plate was set down before him, between his knife and fork which he held erect as if they had been sacred tapers. But the delight was too strong to continue smouldering in a grin. It burst out the next moment in a long-drawn haw-haw, followed by a sudden collapse into utter gravity as the knife and fork darted down on the prey. Martin Poyser's large person shook with his silent, unctuous laugh. He turned towards Mrs. Poyser to see if she, too, had been observant of Tom, and the eyes of husband and wife met in a glance of good-natured amusement. But now the roast beef was finished, and the cloth was drawn, leaving a fair large deal-table for the bright drinking cans and the foaming brown jugs, and the bright brass candlesticks pleasant to behold. Now the great ceremony of the evening was to begin the harvest song in which every man must join he might be in tune if he liked to be singular but he must not sit with closed lips the movement was obliged to be in triple time the rest was ad libitum as to the origin of this song whether it came in its actual state from the brain of a single rhapsodist or was gradually perfected by a school or succession of rhapsodists i am ignorant there is a stamp of unity of individual genius upon it which inclines me to the former hypothesis though i am not blind to the consideration that this unity may rather have arisen from that consensus of many minds which was a condition of primitive thought foreign to our modern consciousness some will perhaps think that they detect in the first quatrain an indication of a lost line which later rhapsodists failing in imaginative vigour have supplied by the feeble device of iteration others however may rather maintain that this very iteration is an original felicity to which none but the most prosaic minds can be insensible the ceremony connected with the song was a drinking ceremony that is perhaps a painful fact but then you know we cannot reform our forefathers 
during the first and second quatrain sung decidedly forte no can was filled here's a health unto our master the founder of the feast here's a health unto our master and to our mistress and may his doings prosper whate'er he takes in hand for we are all his servants and are at his command but now immediately before the third quatrain or chorus sung fortissimo with emphatic raps on the table which gave the effect of cymbals and drum together alec's can was filled and he was bound to empty it before the chorus ceased then drink boys drink and see ye do not spill for if ye do ye shall drink too for tis our master's will when alec had gone successfully through this test of steady-handed manliness it was the turn of old kester at his right hand and so on till every man had drunk his initiatory pint under the stimulus of the chorus tom saft the rogue took care to spill a little by accident but mrs poyser too officiously tom thought interfered to prevent the exaction of the penalty to any listener outside the door it would have been the reverse of obvious why the drink boys drink should have such an immediate and often repeated encore but once entered he would have seen that all faces were at present sober and most of them serious it was the regular and respectable thing for those excellent farm labourers to do as much as for elegant ladies and gentlemen to smirk and bow over their wine-glasses bartle massey whose ears were rather sensitive had gone out to see what sort of evening it was at an early stage in the ceremony and had not finished his contemplation until a silence of five minutes declared that drink boys drink was not likely to begin again for the next twelvemonth much to the regret of the boys and totty on them the stillness fell rather flat after that glorious thumping of the table towards which totty seated on her father's knee contributed with her small might and small fist when bartle re-entered however there appeared to be a general desire for solo music after the choral nancy declared that tim the wagoner knew a song and was always singing like a lark in the stable whereupon mr poyser said encouragingly come tim lad let's hear it tim looked sheepish tucked down his head and said he couldn't sing but this encouraging invitation of the master's was echoed all round the table it was a conversational opportunity everybody would say come tim except alec who never relaxed into the frivolity of unnecessary speech at last tim's next neighbour ben tholloway began to give emphasis to his speech by nudges at which tim growing rather savage said let me alone will ye or else i may sing ye a tune ye won't like a good-tempered wagoner's patience has limits and tim was not to be urged further well then david you're the lad to sing said ben willing to show that he was not discomfited by this check sing my love's a rose without a thorn the amatory david was a young man of an unconscious abstracted expression which was due probably to a squint of superior intensity rather than to any mental characteristic for he was not indifferent to ben's invitation but blushed and laughed and rubbed his sleeve over his mouth in a way that was regarded as a symptom of yielding and for some time the company appeared to be much in earnest about the desire to hear david's song but in vain the lyricism of the evening was in the cellar at present, and was not to be drawn from that retreat just yet. From Chapter 53 of Adam Bede by George Eliot End of Section 19